You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Simone Cuomo, architect at Digital Labs, and today we're super excited to talk about the state of view in 2022 with the one and only Even You creator of Vue.js, Vit, Petit View, and many other open source projects. Ivan, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Good, good. Very, very excited to be here. So we're all very eager to look back at what happened at Vue.js in 2021 and discuss mm-hmm. what to look forward for 2022. But first, mm-hmm. we're going to hear from our sponsor. The Harman Ignite Store Developers Portal is a developer hub dedicated to the Android automotive development community. The portal provides developers the toolkit and the API they need to create apps that influence the future of the in-vehicle experience. Check them out via the ignitedevelopers.harman.com or find the link in our show notes. Now that the you know, sponsor's uh, introduction is done, it's time to dive in. And there's no better way to dive into a state of uh, by looking back, is it? Let's go back and then let's let's yeah. think what you know what happened to last year. A very eventful year for Vue, I would say. Um, you know, we started the year with Vue three in uh, in release. Was that correct? It was in beta uh, or alpha at the start of the year. Um, I think three point oh. Actually, I don't. I don't even remember. It's it's so mm. long ago. It, seems. it is indeed. It is indeed. I think it was um, in yes. September in uh, 2020. Oh, nice. Yeah, wow. September 2020 was 3.0 itself. Yeah. Fantastic. So the 2021 was really all about the tailoring that release and get ready and do the full release. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then it's been an eventful year. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, turns out I spent, I think, probably for 2021, I spent more time maybe half, at least half the time on Vite. Because uh, mm-hmm. that was sort of a, a big push to get V2 out. So mm-hmm. that was probably one of the most important thing for me personally, because uh, I think um, essentially Vite started out as, uh, as an attempt to, to experiment with a lightweight build system for V3, but then, yeah. you know, it's similarly to how Vue kind of grew out of control. It's, you know, people started to like it a lot and we have a community, we have a team and more and more features, uh, more and more, you know, people getting excited about it. So now it's off a full on uh, project of its own. Yeah, it, it has an ecosystem of its own. Even. Indeed. Yeah, I just joined the, the, the Vite community on Twitter. So yes, it's growing. The community is growing on that side as well. Uh, am I right to say that also Vite is the, uh, the suggested tool for, um, for Vue 3? Yeah. Oh, correct. Amazing. That's fantastic. Good, good. So um, looking back on 2021, so um, even what would you say would be, has been the, the hardest part of moving the Vue 3 from the first beta release that you actually guys had to a mm-hmm. full uh, version, and then also now to move, you know, to, to be able to move the Vue to the, to the next step up that is actually the, the standards. So what would you say has been the biggest challenges last year? 
Well, the biggest challenge is really coordinating the system, the entire ecosystem. Uh, so in the in the blog post about Vue three becoming the the new default, I talked a bit about this this idea of the difference between Vue core and the Vue framework or the Vue ecosystem. Because when we look at the Vue npm package, it is only the the core library. It includes the compiler, the runtime, but um, but when you think about building an actual Vue application, you almost always think also think about the tooling, the build tools. Uh, you also think about the more opinionated stuff uh, like um, libraries like router, state management. Mm -hmm. uh, then you also think about like IDE support. How does it integrate with TypeScript? Um, VS Code Code extensions. extensions. Yeah, VS Code extension, a lot of these important things. Also documentation, right? So uh, when you think about a framework being ready, it's much more than just the core library. Uh, although the core library itself is, is probably the most important part, and we spend a lot of time fixing bugs, iterating on features, but uh, at the same time, we have this whole ecosystem that we need to completely update for V3, right? So that's actually a lot more work uh, just in terms of quantity. And the, the more difficult part is, obviously I can't do this alone, right? It's not a one person, one person thing. So uh, we have a team, but you know, as you know, the Vue team is not, we're, we're not a company. We're not like hiring everyone full time to work on exclusively on view related things, right? A lot of our team members, they have their own day job, they have their own uh, other open source interests. Um, mm -hmm. So some of them may have an overlap with the view ecosystem. Some of them right. may uh, mostly dedicate to the view ecosystem outside of their day job, right? So different team members have very different scenarios of their involvement in view. But, but our job is, essentially my job is to make sure that everyone uh, everyone's on the same page. Uh, I don't really, I can't really force anyone to say, you need to get this done by this month, mm -hmm. right? I don't, I never say that. Essentially, all I do is, uh, so, hey, look, here's the big picture. We need this in order for the framework to be, to be complete, to be in a good place. We need this for V3. So we work with every single one working on something or responsible for something, figure out their availability, figure out their interests, figure out their bandwidth. Then mm -hmm. uh, we try to coordinate the interweaving parts between different projects and eventually making sure everything stays coherent, right? So, um, and we do this in a completely decentralized fashion because uh, like, although we have team meetings, it's, it's not really like we have like sprints, like today you're mm -hmm. going to do this, tomorrow you're going to do that. Everyone works their own pace. Uh, so making sure everyone gets the ultimate flexibility and freedom to work on what they want to work on when they want to, but still making sure we put everything back together into one coherent piece. It's very challenging, I would say. Um, <laughs> But I'm glad we managed to do it. It's it's like we probably do it much slower than say if everyone work uh, as mm -hmm, a commercial company. But this is the thing about open source is um, 
the nice thing is everyone contributes to V because they want to. It's not because uh, it's because they are they're trying to get a big you know payday some someday. Uh, it, it's a lot of it is it's labor of love, um, and I think the nice thing is it's truly community driven. Um, people mm-hmm. have different ways to involve with the project, have different incentives, but ultimately the users benefit from it. Uh, so the whole process probably is slower, but uh, overall, I think it's it's just a different set kind of trade off. It's just how we run the project mm-hmm. a little bit differently. That's amazing. And from the way you said it, um, that is an open source and it seems like this is kind of going to stay. There's no plan, uh, no future plan for you to start and, you know, for the team to actually grow and have full time play. Or do you expect the same approach to be? Taken? So, so the, the project, the view, the thing, everything that uh, targets uh, developers, the uh, basic everything that currently exists, right? We don't plan to commercialize this. This is all. That's good free and open source, right? That's how the project started. That's how it's going to stay. Like, even if we're going to do something commercial, it's probably going to be just like somewhat related to Vue, but it's going to be a thing of its own. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously over all this time, I occasionally will have ideas like maybe I can work on this uh, as, a, as a commercial thing, but really, uh, but our sponsorship model kind of still works really well. Uh, we have a lot of partners in the ecosystem that's creating, for example, education content creators. We have like ads, we have sponsors. So all of this combined, we're still pretty financially stable. So uh, we're very sustainable. So there is really a strong incentive for us to say, invest a lot of time in a purely commercial effort. So so the nice thing is because we are sustainable, we can still focus most of our efforts in just making view itself good. Yes. Yes, and actually making what the community wants and not what makes money. So it's a, I think exactly. that's probably what made the, the view ecosystem community the way it is. It's because, yep. like you said, it's driven by the people using it. It's yep. for support for that. Good. Um, the view 3 had um, new features. Uh, so, you know, there has been a couple of changes, uh, you know, from the composite, from you know the option uh, option API to the composition API and different things. So, have you uh, looking back at that uh, right choice, wrong choice? No, well, not wrong choice, but right choice. How has the community approved it, uh, accepted it, and what did you see? You started to get some feedback on the changes. Um, I think most of the feedback was somewhat anticipated because we knew. The way Composition API works is uh, a big departure from how Options API works from the first glance. Uh, the reason we are we are confident that this will be a valuable addition is because underneath we because when I work on the, on the Options API, I know how it's made, right? So Composition API fundamentally is sort of a a less packaged up, a less abstract you know, less abstraction, essentially. Um, mm. So if you take away the options API layer and gives you the, the core primitives of what view work, how view works internally, it's basically composition API. Uh, so that's how the idea came about. And um, it's been challenging because a lot of, a lot of users, uh, they would, when, when people try to learn about something, uh, especially without, uh, without documentation, they look at okay. some code examples and they make a very mm-hmm. fast initial impression of it. 
right? Uh, I think one of the things I sort of wish we did sooner was the new documentation because um, yeah. if we launched Composition API with a new user-oriented documentation, I think the feedback would be a lot of different uh, because um, because when we when we introduce Composition API, we're like, okay, this is just an RFC. This is targeted for advanced users, so let's write it in a way that is targeting advanced users, implementers with as much details as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of intimidates normal users. Um, for an average user who mostly works on applications, they just want to look at, uh, I think naturally, uh, even if I, I'm learning some new library or framework myself, I want something that's approachable. I want something that starts with very basic things and walk you through small examples, right? But that's not how the RFCs are written. So um, I think this sort of mismatch created a run impression for a lot of people who then basically say, okay, I looked at it once, I hate it, so I'm not going to ever look into it again. <laughs> but but I think um, with a, a, another aspect of the problem, I think, was when we first introduced it, we didn't really add any of the compilation-based uh, syntax sugar, like script mm-hmm. setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think script setup and the upcoming reactivity transform is going to really improve the DX while still maintaining the core composability of Composition API, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we want to be sure that these compile time sugar are done right. So we, mm-hmm. again, our time to slowly go through the RFC feedback cycle. So, but in the same time, a lot of people started using Composition API without compile time sugar and, um, and that again leads to the impression that oh this is like quite verbose because you have to nest everything inside a big setup function correct and they don't realize oh this is like just because it's nested inside function doesn't mean you cannot move it outside or even move it into another file and um mm-hmm. yeah so so a lot of this um i think in part because we didn't didn't start with uh user friendly documentation Another aspect is we didn't start with more, you know, compile-based DX improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we have both, right? We have the new documentation. Uh, yes. We have all the compile time stuff that can help you write less code. Um, so I think Composition API is now in a v- really, really good place. And um, I do hope the launch of new docs over 2022 will see more and more people adopt uh, composition API, or at least realize, okay, like, especially I, I still see, cause I, yeah. from time to time, I still see some V2 users are like, mm-hmm. okay, uh, I'm going to use V3, but I'm like, I still want options API. I mean, that makes sense. Options API is still there. It's still going to be there for a very long mm-hmm. time, right? We have no plans to remove it, but um, I think a lot of the arguments against composition API has essentially been resolved in the past year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you've dismissed it before, it's now a good time to look at it again. Correct. Yeah, 100%. I, I was one of the first users. I read the RFC uh, going through, and 
you're right, you went around the internet. All the examples were completely the same. This very verbose, complex, uh, if you're ever going to do this in your application, people are like, no, I'm not. I just want to <laughs> show a heading and a paragraph. Uh, and, and I also agree that, you know, the, the, the new documentation will really, really help people to make the transition uh, because of the side-to-side and things that we'll probably discuss later in the documentation yeah. portion. It's good. Amazing. Yeah. So look forward to see how this will move forward. And, and also, it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? You either yeah. do, if you do the documentation before, you are rigid because then people will, will learn yeah. from that. If you do the RFC first, you're able to yeah. do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's tough, right? Because I didn't want to like commit to working on a full-on documentation, new documentation based on something that's not even like completed yet. Like we have to discuss and merge the RFC first, then we work on the documentation. Right? So of course, of course. It, it's so tough. I think you know we we did some uh, we did problem and and lengthy discussion. I think it worked quite well for the community. And and as you say, in the long run, it will hopefully. Uh, become more of a norm. Um, yeah. Uh, again, on I do have some a couple of notes here. So uh, something else that happened in 2021 was the decision to actually drop the I11 support from U3. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a you know decision taken, uh, brought forward, shared by most of the community as well, because I know that has been followed up by most of the ecosystem saying, okay, we support U3 and we are not going to do I11. Have you had any feedback so far on that? Um, uh, are you still? Do you still? Uh, are you still strong with your opinion? That was the right choice to do it at the given time. Yeah, uh, definitely the right choice. Uh, in fact, we really haven't heard much complaint about it. Uh, there was. Um, I, I know there is a. We we have some users in China who unfortunately okay. uh, want to use V three, but still need to support IE eleven. I think. They even need to support all the way back to IE9. I, I don't know. It's just unfortunate. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, so the good thing is for, for users like that, I know, I know the, the overall, like pe- of all the users, right? People who mm-hmm. are unfortunately under that situation is get much smaller uh, compared to say 2020, right? And it's getting smaller and smaller by day. In fact, um, I remember this decision got on Hacker News and... Even on Hacker News, most of the feedback was either neutral or positive. Um, I think one comment I remember was someone saying their company dropped IE11. Uh, originally, they were super afraid to do it because they were like, okay, a lot of customers are going to be on IE11. They're going to be mad at us. But, but they did it. And no one ever complained. No one. And everybody's just like, so, so they probably have some sort of... Uh, you know, no script tag or, or just some dynamic detection that tells you, okay, you need a more modern browser and people just switch to a modern browser. <laughs> they didn't really get mad about it. <laughs> so, um, so I think it's, it's good. I, I, I'm, I'm super happy about this decision because we've been discussing how we can actually support i11 and v3 since the very beginning. And we have some technical ideas or prototypes and plans, but mm-hmm. it just, um, we were never super comfortable with it because um, although technically it's doable, there is, there is in fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, someone showed me a user land project that essentially you take, took the Vue 3 reactivity module and swapped out the internal implementation, swap out the proxies with the getters and setters. Um, 
and made it work. It passed most of the tests, so it's pretty impressive. And um, that's probably um, what we're doing 2.7, right? But the problem with shipping it in Vue 3 is um, is that you'll have different behavior in proxy versus pro non-proxy browsers. And that is going to potentially lead to edge cases that's really, really hard to detect. Like you can only detect this when when you you either always test in both non-proxy and proxy browsers and then assert the behavior consistency, which is going to be very painful. <laughs> um, Correct. Even or, or your user find it, find it out in production and you may never know about it. Right. So yeah. that, that's the thing we're, we're, we're really worried about. Like we, we know we can probably figure it out, but it's going to take a lot of t trial and error and effort. And dropping IE11 just reduces a lot of the complexity, potential complexity that this would introduce. And also, um, you know, for the long run, it allows us to keep using the modern baseline so that we can confidently use modern JavaScript features in the Vue 3 code base instead of being locked into IE11 forever. Mm -hmm. right. um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and also I think this decision, hopefully it contributes to accelerating the, the death of IE11, right? Because we should all do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I, the uh, ironic thing is I think we're at a point where uh, previously a lot of people say, okay, we need to support IE11 because we still have customers on IE11, so we're going to lose money if we stop supporting mm -hmm. it. Turns out the argument, I think we've already passed the point where if you stop IE11, your engineers spend less time working around the, the edge cases and bugs in IE11. So it mm -hmm. saves your engineering time. At the same time, um, more your users will move to modern browsers, right? Correct. So in the long run, you're actually saving money. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely correct. I think the 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 you know it was interesting the case you gave of uh, you know they changed they waited for the complaint and no complaint happened because we make yeah. those uh, you know my wife still open edges of my browser all the time uh -huh. but if she would open it and say this doesn't work you have to open Chrome she'll probably just click on the button and open Chrome so we yeah. make the assumption that people want to use i11 well it may just yeah. be a the yeah I think the more important thing is if your product really is useful to the user. Yeah. Right? They won't really care if, if like, I mean, you should probably still work in all modern browsers, but not yeah. working IE11 is acceptable. Now. <laughs> I love the way you emphasize on modern, or yeah. modern browser, just to show that i11 nowadays is not anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's good. Um, moving on to, um, I know that, you know, you mentioned it at the very start that, uh, you know, half of your year was spent on VIT. So 2021 was not just about view, it was about more. It was about VIT, uh, was about also uh, Petit View. Um, it was about, you know, I don't know what other projects. So, you know, spend a few, if you want, you know, give us a couple of, you know, hints of how did it go um, and, you know, you know, what else have you done? What else is in, the, is in your mind ahead of time? Sorry, what? So, you know, give us, you know, a little bit of an update on Vit, on Petit View, mm -hmm. um, and any other sure. project. I know that also ViewPress, in a way, has been upgraded mm -hmm. because yeah, of the documentation. Yeah. So. yeah, so Vit, we released V2 in February 2021, so it's over a year now. Wow, that's fast. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
It's more than a year ago. <laughs> Crazy. Um, yeah. So, um, so we released two two point oh, and we did a lot of important improvements. And uh, I think that laid out a pretty. I think some of the important good design decisions is uh, the pre bundling and the roll up compatible plugging system. Um, and a lot of um, small DX uh, focused things. So uh, we are really careful about um, only adding new options when it is absolutely necessary. Uh, so the basic idea is, yes, you can have config. Yes, you can have options. It's not, the goal is not to be zero config. Mm -hmm. The goal is to be, um, basically there is a difference between you need all these configs so that things can work versus you need config to make things work the way you want, right? So the idea is Vite should work by default without any config. Mm -hmm. It should work, but we still have a config so that you can tweak it to work in a way, in a specific way that you want. Yeah, so that's the philosophy. Um, and I think the most important thing I did for Vite after releasing it was to creating a was was creating a team and uh, discovering a lot of active community members. Uh, in fact, um, most of the work nowadays on Vite is is led by uh, Matthias. Uh, you probably also know him as Patek. Mm -hmm. uh, his avatar is a cat. So um, Matthias has been doing an amazing job uh, coordinating the that now most of the releases are done by him and other team members. So Anthony, Anthony Fu obviously Fu, yeah. also contributes. Uh, then we have, and also I think it's, it's great because the decision to make Vite framework agnostic um, makes it possible to become a common foundation layer for multiple frameworks, right? So V3, Svelte, uh, SolidJS, uh, we have a bunch of new, uh, um, upcoming meta frameworks that's built on top of it. We have even framework agnostic SSR solutions built on top of V, right? Uh, so all of this creates a cross-framework community. Uh, people from the Svelte team co contributing to V, people from Marco and Solid giving us feedback on our changes mm -hmm. to SSR implementations. Uh, it, this is all really exciting to see because um, I think, like personally for me, I'm super happy that we are able to transition Vite from sort of a one-man project in the beginning because yeah. like I was just pushing all the commits to now it's actually a team that's that's able to iterate and improve it on a daily basis, even without my involvement sometimes. So um, I think I think this is probably one of the proudest thing to do for me because it took us a really long time for V to establish a, a team, but for V it happened really, really fast. Uh, mm -hmm. Like within a year, right? Uh, yeah. I think this transition is, is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I think the, the, the nature of it being framework agnostic, it, it allowed you to reach a wider uh, community. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you're right. You know the the progress that Vit is taking. Uh, you know, if you think it, I know you say it's been a full year, but it's been just a year. And wherever I go, whichever project I join, 
everyone tells me, oh, we're on bit. Okay. Oh, we're translated to bit. So bit is really yeah. becoming the norm for that. It really supported and increased uh, the development development experience for everyone. So I'll thank you for that. So much uh, time uh, saved uh, me waiting for build to be taken place. Um, and what about Petit View? I know that there was just something very small you did uh, while mm-hmm. working. Uh, and uh, how did that go? Have you had uh, feedback? Do you think that there will be future development? And uh, yeah, how did you see that? Uh, yeah, so Petit View was this, um, obviously it's inspired by Alp- Alpine. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, Alpine is some in some way also inspired by Vue. So it's kind of like, back and forth inspirations. Uh, but Petit View is essentially born out of the idea that um, the the current main, the, the standard view implementation is designed to cater more lean towards uh, larger scale, medium to larger scale applications where single page applications will be the probably the preferred model if you're using standard view, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the, a lot of the optimizations and the, the underlying sort of somewhat heavy runtime implementation of standard view is because it's designed to handle this kind of complex UI applications running in a web page, right? But we also, I think during all this time, we, there are still a lot of users, uh, especially who are coming from backend frameworks like Rails or Laravel, Right. Um, they are still happy with the model to largely, mostly render on the back end and then just put a little bit of JavaScript on the front end. And I think that is still also a legit model for a lot of applications. Right. Um, I think one thing that in the dev community that we often sort of do is like when we create hype for a new paradigm or a new development model, we tend to think of it as a hammer that can fit all nails. But even when the author didn't think that, right? Even like, even when the author says, okay, this is probably only good for this, but some excited users will say, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to use it for everything. Um, yeah. and it's just so common, right? And then in some way, if it becomes a trend, then people start to think this is the only way of doing things. Correct. Well, and we forget, okay, there's actually, you know, the old way of doing things, sometimes it's still legit, right? So Petit View is an acknowledgement of the fact that not everything needs to be an SPA, uh, even though, I mean, it probably can still also do simple SPAs, but like a lot of times you can have a simple web uh, server rendered HTML page, and then you just drop some very tiny JavaScript on top of it and make just some part of it interactive, right? And I did it mostly because I was, I, I, I realized, okay, like if you really have a model like that, the view three implementation could be a little bit heavy handed, right? But at the same time, I still believe, you know, the syntactly syntax, the reactivity part is still super val- valuable, even if you're building this kind of apps, right? So Petit View is essentially taking the view three reactivity core with uh, the same compatible view template syntax. But now uh, we can actually morph your DOM in place. So if you write, you write your template directly in the DOM and Petit View takes over it and doesn't replace it, it actually just 
takes control of everything, sort of like hydration. It's like hydrating mm-hmm. your template mm-hmm. in place and then then uh, making it interactive. Right. So um, I think this is um, this is just one of many ways of doing web development, right? And mm-hmm. um, of course, right. So I think it's good to have this option because uh, one of the core motto of Vue is that we want to allow you to learn Vue once and then apply the same core knowledge across a wide spectrum of apps from super simple server rendered like apps and you just drop a view on top of it and then you have something interactive all the way to full-blown SPAs or uh, complete SSR, super high-level meta framework, whatever, right? Um, if you can support all of these use cases. Mm-hmm. And the, the more important thing is when you move between these spectrums, the core idea of how reactivity works, how the template syntax works, is the same, right? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so, um, uh, you, know, that, you know, I'll see how that progresses. You know, probably next year we'll have a, another podcast and you're going to be petite view. It's not petite anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I think we spent a, a bit of time now talking about the past, uh, but I think what people are really excited about is the future. So we're in 2022. Uh, strangely enough, it's already March. I don't know where the first two months have gone. Time seems to be flying nowadays. I don't know what's yeah. going on. But uh, we know that February has been a very important month for Vue because Vue 3 became the official uh, you know, uh, versions. So... Um, Take the show and tell us, Ivan, what are we? What do we have to look forward for the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, does the team and the rest, uh, and what is in, what's going on? Sure. Um, so obviously, with Vue three becoming the new default, um, <clears throat> our so we have a lot of um, we still have a lot of things that's already like planned since last year that we still need to finish. Um, the first is. Uh, we have, when I was working on the docs, we have a lot of, we piled up a bunch of issues and PRs in the Vue core, Vue3 core repo. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm planning to just spend a dedicated month completely just like focusing on getting the issues down, getting the, the PRs down, uh, fixing some of the longstanding bugs and issues. We'll probably, you'll probably see a bunch of patch releases coming the next month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Essentially, tackling all the all the historical debt when when we were focusing on the new docs, and then once we have done that, uh, there is two point seven. So um, mm-hmm. two point seven. The main idea is uh, we're gonna move essentially backport composition API into V two proper instead of relying on the composition API plugin. You should be able to just um, install Vue 2.7, and then you have the same import rev or reactive from Vue. The same way it works mm-hmm. with Vue 3. So once you upgrade to 2.7, that means you can drop stuff like Vue Demi, you can drop stuff like com- mm-hmm. add Vue slash composition API, and everything will just... Um, uh, so that means a lot of the, the libraries that only works with Vue 3 composition API can also work with 2.7. Right. Um, obviously, there will be some edge cases because uh, the 2.7 implementation will still be using getters and setters. Um, so 
but aside from the reactivity detection caveat, caveat which is has always been in view too, right? Anything mm -hmm. yeah. else API-wise will try to make it work the same way. Um, so that is main thing about V2.7. We'll probably also update the V2 uh, com uh, SFC compiler so that it supports script setup as well. Um, yeah. So that is 2.7. So once 2.7 is out, V2 will be in uh, maintenance mode. There will be no new minor releases for V2 after 2.7, and it's going to be okay. 18 months LTS. Um, and that would be, so after 18 months after 2.7 would be uh, end of life for V2. End of life. Technically, okay. right? Um, I mean, it, it's, it will still work because V2 has been really, really stable over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you want to support IE11 forever, you can keep using 2.7 probably. Uh, yeah. But we're going to be focusing most of the future efforts on V3, obviously. And so after 2.7, so we have 3.3 already planned. There will be a lot of stuff in it. Um, some of it is uh, server-side rendering oriented. Um, Nice. I can't really get too much into the details, but uh, mostly it's about improving the hydration. For example, uh, using async components as a hydration boundary. So you can do essentially built-in lazy or uh, on-demand hydration. So um, for example, hydrate only when it scrolls into view or hydrate yeah. only when the user scrolls over it. Uh, and then... Um, some exper explorations we've done in the past, like um, declaring a part of the template as uh, as static only for the client. So it uses dynamic data, but on the server, it will actually fetch dynamic data and use that dynamic data to render on the server. But on the client, when it hydrates, uh, essentially we, we want to give the user a way to say, okay, Although this data is dynamically fetched on the server, it will never change once it gets on to the client. client, right? So essentially on the client, so when we compile, when we do SSR apps, we actually compile twice, right? Once for the server, once mm -hmm. for the client. So when we declare something like that, on the client, we can basically say, okay, because this part, we know it's already server rendered. We know it will never change, so we can when we compile for the client, we can compile it in a way so that uh, there's no need to generate render functions for it even. It's really just adopt the node and treat it as static and we're done. So there is no hydration cost, no update cost. Uh, mounting will also be much faster. Um, yeah, so basically a way for you to um, further optimize uh, SSR performance. So um, because we know that a lot of people think that, okay, for an SSR app using Vue or React, like hydration is probably an important thing. It's, although you see the content faster, you, your, your time to interactive is still blocked by hydration, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of the focus on 3.3 will be improving the hydration process so that, uh, um, so that Essentially, you don't you don't actually pay the same cost when you do compare to do pure client side render. Okay. Um, yeah. 
And then there will be in 3.3, we also plan also plan to make the new reactivity transform RFC stable. Um, so if you, in case you don't know, reactivity transform yeah. is uh, another compound time sugar that allows you to get rid of the dot value when you work with refs. Um, this actually has been in the works for a very long time since mm -hmm. last year. We had maybe, I think we had like five different editions of this. <laughs> Just like we, we start with one idea. We have really heated discussions. We discover edge cases here and there. We consider this, all these different approaches and eventually we arrive at what we, the current version is. And I think we've resolved most of the issues and even mm -hmm. it, it works not only inside view components, but also work in normal JavaScript and TypeScript files. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, you can use the same system in your entire code base, but still getting the same composition API composable benefits, um, just with a more succinct syntax. So I think this is uh, probably going to be interesting. Um, yeah, so so this final iteration has seen a lot of uh, a lot of people are already using it. I'm personally using it okay. in some of those projects. So uh, and I'm I'm liking it quite a bit. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, and that's essentially the the short term roadmap. So three point three is uh, is probably going to be the big thing uh, for I don't know. We're, I'm not sure if we can finish it in Q2. Hopefully we do. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. for the then for the next half of the year, we have some we have some experimentation ideas that's been going on about uh, an alternative compilation mode for Vue. Essentially, mm -hmm. um, we we see a lot of new interesting frameworks like Svelte and Solid. They are taking on this sort of very aggressive compilation-based approach. Um, yeah. So uh, I have some prototypes that are looking into doing this similar things review, and um, we're seeing pretty uh, promising results so far. Um, but of course, this is super experimental. We can't really be sure yeah. like how this will turn out. But the big idea is uh, if we want to do this, we want to do it in a way that it can fit seamlessly into existing Vue apps. So, um, so basically, we want to make this um, instead of a completely parallel system. We want to make sure. Uh, so, so the big idea is uh, similar to the compiler, more compiler-based frameworks. Instead of leveraging a heavy runtime virtual DOM diffing mm -hmm. diffing engine, we directly compile them into. I would say somewhat imperative code, um, okay. yeah. But also optimizing the generated code size, right? So um, we don't want to make the code generated code more verbose, but at the same time, we want to get better performance, smaller runtime, um, and then most importantly, we want to be able to plug it into existing view applications. Say like, okay, make this sub subtree use this new mode and embed it mm -hmm. into my current view app so you can start using it without changing anything. Um, and uh, 
Alternatively, if you're saying, okay, I'm starting a new project, I want to just directly start in this mode, then you can then you can drop the virtual DOM runtime. Uh, I mean, that probably means you won't be able to use component library without leverage runtime virtual DOM features, but in return, you get super, super small baseline runtime size, something mm -hmm. like three to four kilobytes. Um, and then you get extreme performance. So that actually, you know, three to four KB uh, payload size actually makes it suitable for one-off web components as well. So this will be interesting, mm -hmm. but this is super early stage. Uh, no guarantees whatsoever, but uh, we have some promising early results so far. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I you know, wasn't aware of, the, of that part of the roadmap. And, uh, um, it will, it will be incredible. Again, you know, we've seen Vue improving its performance from Vue 2 to Vue 3 already massively. So I think that would be another step forward, I think, in the right direction. And mm. good, you know, a busy year already for you. There's, uh, you know, I can see yeah. those three things you mentioned will probably go. <laughs> yeah, I probably <laughs> will go to next, go into next year. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Um, uh, uh, question for you. So, uh, you know, things are starting to move around. People finally move, um, you know, are able to travel here and there. Uh, what do you, what is your um, expectation for this year in-person event? Uh, do you think you're going to start to travel a bit more or are, do you actually are enjoying the remote part of it? Um, I don't really like doing remote talks because I feel like the, uh, to be honest, the amount of effort you put into a talk and then giving it remote is just like, it just never feels the same way like you do with in-person talks because you instantly see how people reacting to your talks. You get to actually talk to people after the talk. You can ask party. questions. Yeah, exactly. You connect with people. You, you, can, you can have a good time socialing, right? That, that's, for me, that's like the biggest job of giving talks. So like giving mm -hmm. remote talks don't really give you all that. So it's mm -hmm. sort of like, yeah, I put a lot of work into the talk, but like, I don't really get what I want out of conferences back anymore. So, like, to be honest, like over the last two years, I'm, I'm a little bit getting tired of giving remote talks. To be honest, but at the same you can time, give too many as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, but at the same time, you know, traveling is still sort of hectic. Mm. Um. Especially from from Singapore, I don't I don't really know. Like, I've, I haven't been paying attention to travel restrictions for for a while. But ever since we moved here, I'm like, we're going to just settle down uh, for a while. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, still figuring out like how you know the life here and how to whether we want to stay here for the long term. And then, you know, uh, you probably know that a few weeks ago, my son caught COVID, unfortunately. So it's been quite mm -hmm. stressful. Um, and then, you know, just all the recent events going on, it's just uh, a little bit difficult for me to, to think about, okay, like, do I want to travel right now? I probably don't. <laughs> so um, I do hope I can. But I just don't feel comfortable doing that yet. Of yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially right seeing see my son uh, with COVID. It's like because they can't get vaccines yet, 
So yeah. every time I think about me going outside, talking to people, then come back home, it's always sort of a risk, right? I would probably already be flying all over the place if I'm I'm single, you know, because I'm still young. Like I get vaccinated, I I I can't go around and do talks. But like mm-hmm. you know, with kids at home, it's kind of a different story. I kind of have to always think twice before I make commitments. Hundred percent. And also, when you go to a conference, you don't just meet one one or two people. Uh, yeah, be, you know, you meet a lot of people, people right? Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> you meet a lot of people, so you know, just be careful. It's not an option. But I know that there is an urge uh, for many, many people to. Um, uh, there is an urge for many people to actually, um, um, you know, to, to actually go back into the, um, you know, into the real. You know, seeing people speaking them when they are, yeah. uh, when they are, uh, you know, yeah, I totally agree. There is um, a big urge in the community for people to actually, um, you know, go back uh, remote. Uh, like you say, the the conference is lost. You know, what is nice of the conference is not just to talk. They're amazing. There's yeah. lots of work that goes behind. But it's the discussion that happened in the hall. Is the is the pre you know pre evening dinner? Is the follow up? So let's hope the things get better around the world and everyone will be able to travel again. I do miss the I do, I do miss my yeah. you know my swag <laughs> my conference yeah, swag. Yeah. <laughs> I need new shirts. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Funny enough, because uh, I I participated in uh, quite a few of uh, GitHub events, like some remote, some podcasts, some like readme projects. So every one of those, they're like, we want to send you some swag, and. And it's the same hoodie over and over again. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get three of the same GitHub hoodies. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, so I can like, cycle through them. Yeah. Take different sides. One for you, one for your partner, one for your children. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what I do. I do me and my wife. We go out same clothes. <laughs> nice idea. Oh. Yeah. Yes, yes. Good, good, good. Amazing. Um, is there anything at all that we have not covered, uh, even that you will think to discuss? Uh, we haven't discussed about the code documentation that I know uh, you've done a few talks recently and, and yeah. it's absolutely amazing. Uh, just so that you know, the initial feedback that I have, I shared with, you, with all my mentee, I shared with everyone that wants to get in the community and the very simple approach that you guys have taken in the tutorial is mind-blowing compared to the previous documentation. So. For a personal usage, I'm telling you that, uh, you know, well, well done, but you want to add anything else on that front? Uh, yeah, so um, we can probably add links to the talks. I think the video is already online somewhere. Uh, I also have uh, from the official Vue.js account, Twitter account, there's also a thread walking over some of the things we did for the new docs. Yeah, but um, at a very high level, Tons of new content, tons of improvement. It's completely reworked. Everything is almost, almost everything is new. So if you haven't, please check it out. Yeah, and I do, you know, I do quote that. It's absolutely true. I did it in the evening. I read it all back from the start. You did mention to reread it again if, if you are a view user. And I do suggest to reread it again because few things have changed, just to make sure that people are fully aware of the changes that have gone through view. And also because of the different approach of explaining things, people may have a different understanding. So for me, I did it through using the Composition API uh, that I've used it, but not massively, and it really, really helped to get things through. So I totally, totally agree on that. Um, even how do we want to end this? What else do you want to tell us? Um, or what not much. To- 
Well, um, I uh, well, I want to thank everyone because uh, really getting the new documentation out, getting Vue three to the new default version, was a big relief for me personally because it's been it's been dragging on for so long uh, with all the pieces slowly falling into place, and eventually we we can say, okay, this is ready, this is done. So. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm super happy that we're now able to focus on more new stuff. Well, we still have 2.7, but uh, I'm really looking forward to the next uh, the the latter half of this year when we'll be working on some new exciting stuff that's uh, that's more future oriented. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, we, you know, as a personal user of Vue.js, I, I actually, I thank you and all the community and everyone else who has uh, actually worked so hard uh, to develop and, and grow Vue where it is right now and to work towards the Vue 3 development. We really, 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 really uh, has been a, a blessing uh, to have you guys working working so hard for, uh, for the community. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I really, really hope you enjoyed this, uh, this Modern Web podcast, uh, uh, podcast episode. And even hopefully we'll see again remote, online, face-to-face, -face, as long as we're around and we see your amazing progress. Um, and thank you, everyone, from the View community. Listen. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Cause we got a show for you